Hey, uh, Justin mentioned it, but I want to mention it as well. Congratulations uh, to any one of you here this morning that either gave or supported or ran uh, the many, many miles that our St. Jude runners ran yesterday morning. Great job. I saw uh, some of you Connect folk in the race. I saw some of you hobbling in this morning. Well done, not just for running all those miles, but coming to church this morning. Great job, all of you. So uh, you were fantastic. It was just so good to see the community all gathered around those runners and just to see how much they raised. And then last night, of course, the, um, the, the TV special was on where all those runners arrived and all the pledges came in and all the money was counted. So uh, I'm sure some of you were watching that on TV last night. Uh, uh, and if you were watching that, unfortunately, you will have missed um, the great TV presentation that was on on Fox last night. And that was um, a one-hour special about a gentleman who had decided to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Uh, this was a stunt that they did live on TV. Uh, this guy, he, uh, he jumped out of an airplane at 25,000 feet no parachute. There was a net set up on the ground uh, to catch him. Because, I mean, of course, if I'm jumping out of an airplane, I want a net to catch me. That's very safe. Uh, and he did it live on TV. And some of you thinking, Dave, that cannot be true. Watch this video. There goes the chutes. Luke is on his own. And the crowd on the ground looking up, they have a visual on him right now. He's in! See what you missed when you were giving money to St. Jude? Action like that! You missed the Luke Cam. Um, what could have been the very last video ever broadcast from the Luke Cam, from Luke himself. But uh, he was caught in the net. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, there are just some people in this world, aren't there, who, who kind of seek out drama. That's, they're, just, they're looking for it. Me, I want to stay away from drama, okay? I have a hard time jumping out of bed in the mornings, let alone jumping out of an airplane without a parachute on, okay? Um, so we're doing this series right now at Connect. In fact, we're actually wrapping up this series this morning called Turn Down the Drama. Because I would imagine that for most of you here this morning, you not only don't go seeking drama in your lives each week, you actually are working hard to avoid the drama, when that drama shows up, you want to figure out how to turn down the drama in your life. So we've been talking about this subject for the last few weeks. I've really enjoyed talking about it. I've had several people come up to me and said they've enjoyed hearing it. And I think the reality is because many of us are just surrounded by drama. I'm sure a lot of you can say, well, my friend, and I've seen this post on my friend's Facebook page and lots of examples. But probably there are some here who would say, well, actually, in my life. This just happened, or, or this happened before, and there was drama that happened. So we've talked about a few practical things uh, to help turn down the drama in our lives. But last week, I, uh, I kind of concluded this series with part one of a two-part series, two-part series, two-part message. I discovered that there was just too much on this last topic that I wanted to speak about that I couldn't cram it all into just one message. So we started last week. We're going to finish this morning. So last week, we were talking about the whole idea of how do we learn from the drama. 
I want us to close out this series going, well, how do we learn from the drama? If there's been drama in my life, if I've been in a relationship that was, was full of drama and that relationship's come to an end, how do I learn from that? Do you know anyone who maybe they're in their um, second or third relationship or something's happening in their lives and they're like, yeah, I, just, I don't know what's going on, but I always just seem to pick the wrong person. Why, why do I have bad luck? It just seems that everyone I date, everyone I've been involved with, they always, it just turns into drama. Well, you know what? There's something common in all those relationships. It's you. That's the common factor in all these relationships. And sometimes you'll meet someone, they'll say, oh man, I just don't have much luck with jobs. I always have the wrong boss or I'm always in the wrong market and I keep losing these jobs. Well, maybe the drama somehow comes down to you. So how do we learn from this drama in our lives? Because I would imagine that some of you are fed up taking that drama into the next stage of your life. I would imagine that some of you are thinking, I just want to leave that in the past. I want to learn from that drama, and I want to move on. So how do I do that? We started out last week by um, kind of knocking down a couple of myths that I think cause us to to continue um, making the same mistake again and again. The first is the experience myth. The experience myth is the idea that, well, because this has happened to me before, it won't happen again. I've got experience in this area. So because this relationship ended badly, I now have experience. So I'm sure the next relationship will be great. Because I got let go from this job and this, this, uh, this situation happened, I've now got some experience. So I'm sure the next job will be better. Well, we learned that that's a myth. That in actual fact, experience does not make you wiser. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. And yet many of us never pause, we never stop long enough to learn from that experience. We just assume that because we've had the experience, surely we'll be wiser next time. And then we find that same drama repeating itself in our lives. So that's one of the myths that kind of trips us up, I think, when it comes to learning from the drama. It's the experience myth. The second one is the time myth. The time myth is that um, when we come out of a failed relationship or when we come out of a difficult job situation or maybe a financial uh, situation that went south and, and whatever it is and there was drama and it's, it's left us here, we feel like time is against us. And my friends are, uh, are dating and my friends are married. I've got to move quickly here. I've got to move on to the next relationship as quick as I can because I'm not getting any younger. And, and we feel like time is our enemy You see, the time myth is that time isn't your enemy. Time is your friend. And some of us need to to just pause a bit and and take a breath. And and before we move on to that next stage of life, say, okay, I need to learn from that experience. I need to take some time here. That was a big drama that I just came out of. And and, uh, I need to take a little bit of time here and and to grow and to learn and to, to, to figure out what happened to evaluate that experience. But we feel like time's against us and time's our enemy and we're rushing to move into, and then we're, we're surprised that that drama shows up in the next job or in the next relationship or in the next stage of our life. It's pushing that pause button and saying, I'm going to take some time here to try and figure this out. So we start out looking at uh, the first of three steps of how I feel we can really learn from the drama in our lives. Step one last week was to own it, to own it, to own the drama. 
And I acknowledge, I'm, I'm not silly, I acknowledge the fact that I know that for many of you, when it comes to drama, uh, if you could draw a circle, or maybe some of you did your homework this week, you actually draw, drawed, you drew... <laughs> You drew a circle this week, and maybe your circle looked something like this. This is kind of the circle of blame, I called it, the drama circle. And uh, the pies there, the pieces of the pie, they represent how much was his fault, how much was her fault, and how much was my fault. Well, he did this. He was totally to blame. He had this problem, this, that, and the other. And yet, I get it. He was the majority to blame. She did this, and because of that, this is why this happened, and I get it. But, but you know what? If we're all honest with ourselves, we can probably look back and say, okay, so there was a thin slice of the pie that maybe I had something to do with it. Maybe I could own some of the drama, and that was where we started last week, the challenge to say, when you look back at that drama in your lives, the very first thing you've got to do is, is to own your slice of the pie, and that's tough because when we look at that, we're like, yeah, but look at how much they did. I know that. But even that small part, by taking 100% responsibility for your 5%, will help you guarantee that that slice of the pie doesn't get carried into the next stage of your life. And maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, wow, now that I think about it, that drama that happened in that relationship, it happened in the next relationship. That drama that happened in that job, that, that teacher I had at school, the very next semester, I had the same kind of drama. Different teacher, same drama. Maybe some of it was me. And it's owning your slice of the pie. You see, blame is what causes us to carry our past drama into the future. It's a lot easier sometimes, isn't it, to look at that large slice of where they were at fault and blame them but if we blame instead of owning our part, then that blame carries that drama into the next step of our lives. So having owned it, I want to spend some time this morning looking at two more steps. Two more steps. These two steps are to rethink it and release it. It's going to be real easy to remember this morning. We're going to learn how to rethink it, and then we're going to learn how to release it. Because think about it this morning. If you look back on that drama in your lives, do you ever find yourself asking this question, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I thinking? My buddies said they didn't think she was a good match for me. My friends, they warned me that he was bad news, but they didn't understand how I felt. I knew who this person really was. They didn't know them like I knew them. So I went ahead anyway, and we started that relationship. What was I thinking? <laughs> Looking back now, you're like, man, what was I thinking? They said it was 0% down, five years interest-free. I mean, I know I didn't need one that big or that new, but come on, that's a great deal. What was I thinking? It was a sure bet I was going to get a guaranteed return. Invest in this. It seemed too good to be true. Turns out because it was too good to be true. What was I thinking? I don't know if any of you caught the news this week, but uh, shares in Nintendo soared over the last couple of weeks because of a phenomenon called Pokemon Go. 
maybe you were here thinking, man, I've seen those kids up on the square. They're all over the place. Kids, adults, they're out there on the square, you know, chasing these Pokemon. I'm going to buy shares in Nintendo. This is great. Well, on Monday this week, Nintendo finally made the announcement, actually, this isn't our game. <laughs> we didn't create this game. We're a part of the Pokemon, but this isn't our game. Their shares dropped 20% in one day. $1.6 billion of value in ten- Nintendo was lost in a single day. What was I thinking? I thought it was a sure bet. You see, here's the thing. I think we could apply this to any number of dramas in our lives. We could all ask that question, but I wonder if we ever pause long enough to find the answer. I wonder when we look back and think, man, what was I thinking? If we really sit down and go, no, seriously, what was I thinking? How can I make sure I don't think that way in the future? I need to rethink this area of my life. Because if we don't figure this out, if we don't change the way we think, we're going to walk right into the next drama and experience the same situation again and again and again. So we're actually going to look this morning at something that a guy by the name of Paul said. Now, Paul's amazing, okay? He wrote um, many letters that feature in the New Testament. Over half the New Testament are letters that were written by this man. And if there was ever a person qualified to speak on the subject of rethinking, of changing the way you think, it was this guy. You see, Paul wasn't always Paul. Paul used to be Saul. Saul was a man who was very religious. He was a Pharisee, and uh, he was so religious that he believed that these Christians, um, they were against God, these new followers of Jesus, that they they were working against the true God. So he made it his mission in life to find them, to capture them, to persecute them, even to kill them. That was Saul's mission in life. And then one day, Saul's on a journey, and Jesus, who had died many years before and risen again, Jesus appears to him on the road. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul has this incredible encounter with Jesus, and his life is changed forever. Discovering the Messiah, discovering the Son of God, discovering Jesus, I think Paul probably looked back at who he was and what he was doing and thought, man, what was I thinking? Now I've discovered Jesus. I know the truth. What was I thinking back then? But the great thing about Paul is he didn't just ask the question. He, he then sort of analyzed that part of his life. and He thought, you know, I need to change. I need Jesus to help change who I am because, man, my, my life was going this way. But since meeting Jesus, it's now going this way. I need to reevaluate a lot of what I was thinking. So Paul writes a letter to a group of followers of Jesus. This is many years after his conversion. He's right into a group of Jesus followers in a city called Rome. And you probably remember what Rome was like back in those days. We're talking gladiators, colosseums, lions. So so being a follower of Jesus, it was a scary place to be. But there were some that were standing strong in their belief that Jesus was who he said he was. And, And Paul writes to these people. And he says this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to his fellow followers of Jesus here, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, Paul understands that in this culture, um, many were used to, to seeing animals be sacrificed. That was the way of worshiping God in the Old Testament. They would, they would sacrifice animals, and it was their way to worship God. And Paul's saying, listen, since Jesus, that's changed. 
There's no longer a need to sacrifice animals. Instead, you need to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is what worship looks like now. You live in your lives for God. And here's how you do that. Paul says, here's how this looks. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed. Paul's saying, listen, you've got a choice here. You could, you could be exactly like everyone else. You could, you could be like kind of this. Here's one there's another one, there's another one, this one's got two eyes, this one's got three buttons, you know, but aside from that, they all look exactly the same. Paul's saying, listen, stop behaving like everyone else around you. Stop conforming to the pattern of this world, but instead, be transformed. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, come on, let's be honest. Look at these two. <laughs> Which one would you rather be? This or Optimus Prime? Come on. This is Optimus Prime, right? Help me out here, someone. This is, is that who that is? I, I think it is. It's the, uh, it's the semi-truck guy. So be transformed is what Paul's saying. I'll leave him standing there and him standing there. So how do we do this? How do we be transformed instead of being conformed? You see, it's more than just this. It's more than going to that next stage of life saying, okay, this time I'm going to really try harder. I promise I'm going to do better this time. I, I really, I've got these great intentions of really doing it differently this time. Well, think about it. You've, have we said that before? Maybe you went on a diet and you're like, I'm really going to eat healthy. <laughs> How did that go? I'm going, to, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to join this gym. And after three or four times of going, it's just like a direct debit that goes out every month. <laughs> You can have the best intentions in the world, but if you're not prepared to make some changes, to, to change the way you think, nothing's going to change. And we laugh about it when it comes to diet and exercise, but when it comes to big issues in our life, life-changing dramas that reoccur again and again, why is it that we can have the best intentions of the world and still not change? Well, Paul explains this. He goes on to say, listen, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, in another version, in the New Living Version, it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, this Greek word here that's translated renew or change the way you think, it literally means to restore. We have to restore our thinking. Now, I've never done either of these, but maybe you're here this morning, you've restored a car, got one of those old cars, and you've, you've very carefully restored it. Maybe you're here this morning, some of you crafty ladies, and you've restored a piece of furniture. And have you ever done that? My wife's great at this. Sometimes she'll come back from the trip to the square, and she'll be like, hey, I need some help getting this out of the back of the van. I'm like, what is that? This junky desk. Or what's this old table you bought? She's like, no, no, no. We're going to restore this. I'm going to change the way it looks. It's going to look wonderful. And I'm, I'm sure one day they will all look wonderful. Right now they're in the back of the garage, but at some point we're going to restore them and they're going to look great. But if you've ever restored a car or a piece of furniture, there's one thing I do know. You don't just put paint on the old. Because if you do, do you know what will happen? It'll just peel right off. 
You see, true restoration means taking some time and taking care and removing all of the old, sanding off the old paints, getting it down to the, to the raw finish. And then once it's all clean and once it's all clear, then you can reapply the new. And when Paul says here, by the renewing of your mind, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, you need to strip away some of that, those old ways of thinking. You wonder why that drama keeps coming up again and again? It's because you've never taken the time to strip away and take away some of those old ways of thinking and then reapply the new to restore, to, to renew your thinking. It's amazing. Once, once you've done this, you start to see things differently. Once you've renewed your way of thinking, it changes the way you see the world. Have you ever seen one of those optical illusions and you just can't see it and you can't see it and then suddenly you see it and then you can't not see it? It's like as soon as you actually see what everyone's saying, it's like, wow, every time I look at it now, that's what I see. Case and I got back from a trip uh, last weekend. It was actually very late or last week, very late on a Wednesday night. So we were driving back from Chicago. It was early hours of the morning. And as I looked down at the van, I noticed that on the dashboard, instead of the odometer reading the normal numbers that it read, um, it was just a scrambled bunch of letters and numbers. I've got a picture of it. You can put it up on the screen now. And I'm like, what is up? Case, this is broken. The odometer's broken. It's just a bunch of scrambled, jumbled numbers and letters. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's like nine, and there's a C in there, and there's, like, it's obviously broken. I mean, I'm driving, like, for at least an hour, glancing down at it. Still broken. Still, and then suddenly, I looked, and I saw what all of you have already seen. <laughs> oh, it actually says gas cap. <laughs> I was saying, I think it says nine, and then I was saying, and she's like, I don't think it says that, but um, <laughs> gas cap, oh, and then every time I looked at it, that's all I could see was gas cap. I'm like, how did I not see that before? And that's what Paul's talking about. When we renew our minds, suddenly we look at, at relationships differently. We look at our, our careers, our behavior, our attitude. It changes the way we think. So much so that we start to question how we ever used to do it that way before. But sometimes it's impossible to do that unless we're willing to renew our minds, to, to rethink. So how does that work? How does that work for us here this morning? Now, some of you here, you may be new to this, this relationship with Jesus. Maybe following Jesus is something that's new for you. This attending church on a regular basis, making this commitment to follow him, and you're thinking, I'm not sure how I do that. How do I move from, from conforming? How do I move from being just like everyone else, just thinking the way I always used to think, to transforming? How do I do that? Well, there's a few simple answers. One of them you're doing right now, you're attending church. This is a great place to be, to hear someone teaching and explaining the Bible and saying, okay, I could apply that in my life. That's good. That could, that could help change the way I think. Listen to what's being taught. Join a small group. Many of you here this morning are part of our, our small groups, and um, we're going to be relaunching some more of those in the fall if you want to join a small group. But that's a great gathering every couple of weeks to meet in somebody's home and to talk about. Maybe you're talking more about the message from Sunday. Maybe you're doing a Bible study or a book study together. But it's just kind of taking it a little bit further, saying, I want to I figure this out. I want to understand how this applies in my life. You could read the Bible. Read Christian books. If you, if you struggle on how to pray, you know, there are some great books you can find just on prayer alone. I want to read a book that's going to help me understand more about what it means to pray and how to pray because I really want to grow in this. 
All of these will help you renew your mind. And some of you are saying, well, I've been attending church for years, and this drama keeps repeating myself, so what's up with that? Well, it's not just listening, it's applying. You don't just listen and you read. It's like, okay, I, I understand what they're saying. Now I've got to actually apply this in my life. And here's what Paul says is the outcome if we'll do that. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, what a great promise to hang on to. How many of us this morning would love to be able to say, I know what God's will is for my life. When it comes to that next relationship, that next job, that next economic decision, that next move, I want to know what God's will is because I think he's got my best plans in mind. I think he's got my best intentions at heart. So I want to follow his will. So how do I do that? Well, I do that by not being conformed, but by being transformed by the renewing of my mind, by rethinking, by changing. So when I look back and I think, what was I thinking? I actually have an answer to that question. I know what I was thinking. I was thinking this, and that was silly. Because the Bible teaches this, or I, I talked about this in my small group, and they explained that this is how um, Jesus designed us, or I heard this message or this series, and it's changed the way I think about that subject. And now my mind has been renewed. So that's what it looks like to rethink it. Some of us need to own it. We need to rethink it. And then we need to release it. We need to just release it from our lives. We need to release that drama. Let's pull that pie chart up once again, our, our drama circle. So, so some of us, you know, we've, we've looked at that and we've, we've thought, okay, I think I can own that portion. And I think I can learn from that and I can move on. But... If we really want to leave that drama in the past, and this is going to be hard for some, we need to not just release that portion of what we did wrong, but take a look at this. We need to release that part as well. Whoa, wait. You're talking about what he did? You're talking about the, what she did, how, how she behaved? I've got to release that? That's going to be hard. But you see, the fact is that just like not owning this will cause you to take that same drama into the future, not releasing this part will also cause you to take that same drama into your future. I don't think any of us here this morning want to carry into that next relationship, that next job, that, that next stage of our lives, this drama. But if we're not willing to release it, it's going to go with us. We need to be able to release that. We need to make a decision because this won't be a natural process. And some of you are like, well, I don't think I can forget that. Well, I'm not asking you to forget it. What I'm asking you to do is to release the hold that it still has on your life. And the way to do this isn't through forgetting, but it's through forgiving. Because you see, I think if you'll forgive your past drama, it'll remind you, but it won't define you. If you're willing to forgive that person for what they did, that drama that they caused in your life, you'll always remember it, but it will no longer define you. You see, when it comes to releasing and forgiving, we need to learn to allow ourselves to learn the lessons from the past drama 
without dragging the luggage of that past drama into the future. By releasing, by forgiving, it allows you to learn the lessons from the past drama without dragging the luggage of that past drama into your future. We actually talked about this whole topic a few weeks back when we were talking about anger. And we looked at another letter that Paul wrote, this time to a church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul's saying here, listen, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. What he's saying here is, how many days are you going to let go by? How many sunsets will you let go on before you'll finally release that? Because every day you hold on to that anger and that bitterness, that frustration about what happened. Every day you hold on to that is another day that the devil has a foothold in your life. The devil has come in and, and set up camp because you won't release it. I'll tell you something else that's fascinating about this verse. When, when Paul says here about giving the devil a foothold, the word he actually uses, the Greek word is, uh, the Greek word's diabolos. Diabolos, and it, and it does, it means devil, but it actually means more than just devil. It's applied in this case to the devil, but it, it also means it can be translated slanderer, accuser, backbiter, someone that brings you down. So knowing that, let's, let's pull this verse back up and let's think of it this way. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give Bob a foothold. Do not give, sorry, Bob, if you're here this morning. Do not give Sarah, whoever it is, think back to that time. Do not give the economy, whatever it was that caused that drama, whatever it was that caused that in your life, do not give them a foothold in your life because when you don't release that, that's what's happening. That person has moved on their lives. Things are happening there. They're in another place, but they still have a foothold in your life because you've not released that part of the drama. It was hard enough just owning your slice, but to release that as well? But if you're in a position here this morning where you're finding that this drama keeps kind of repeating itself again and again and again, you may just find that the reason it keeps repeating itself is because you've not been able to release that hold that it has on you. Release that foothold that that person had in your life. And now as a result, Paul talks about it, doesn't he, in chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. He says, this is what will happen if you hold on to it. If you don't release it, you're going to be full of all these negative things. And instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you know that if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus released your past that pie chart, that Jesus released that part. When he looks at you, he doesn't carry your past drama. He doesn't see that in you. He sees you now and moving forwards. He's released that from you. We need to release that from the others in our lives as well. And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, when Paul's talking to the followers, this isn't a suggestion. This isn't just some good advice. He's saying, listen, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be able to forgive. You need to be able to own your slice of the pie and release it. But you also need to be able to release the rest. Release what it was that they did to you. Forgive them and put it behind you. Not so you can forget 
but so that you can be freed of it. Do you know that word forgive there in the, uh, in the verse? It literally means to pardon. Just like in a court of law when you hear that a judge has pardoned a criminal. And here's the interesting thing about the use of the word pardon. So um, when a judge pardons a criminal, that doesn't mean, oh, it turns out you're innocent after all. We've got our uh, facts mixed up. When a judge pardons a criminal, it's not because there's been new evidence or some clever lawyer has kind of uh, twisted it. No, a pardon literally means the judge is saying, I know what you did was wrong, and you are guilty as charged, but I'm choosing to forgive you. That's what a pardon is in a criminal system. And that's what Paul is saying that God's asking us to do. When we forgive those person, those people who maybe hurt us, it's pardoning them. It's not letting them off the hook. It's not pretending that that didn't happen. Yeah, they did wrong, and yes, they hurt us. And that'll always be a memory, but I'm choosing to forgive you because I don't want that drama to follow me into the next area of my life. So a pardon isn't changing the story or saying, well, I guess maybe they weren't wrong. Or, no, they, were, they could have very well have been wrong, very wrong in what they did, but I'm choosing for my sake to pardon that person, to release that hold that they have on me. I'm going to own it. I'm going to rethink it so I don't find myself falling into that trap again. And then I'm going to release it because I'm fed up, keep carrying this drama into every relationship, every job that I'm in, every stage of life that I'm in. You know, I used to work with a guy um, many years ago, fantastic guy, and uh, he'd worked at a church and some things had happened in his life and he'd gone through some situations in his own life. And um, it, it basically ended up that this church, they, they let him go. He lost his job there, and, and for a while he just went through a real tough time trying to figure out what his um, next step should be. And I remember sitting with him and talking to him, and I remember this whole situation. There was a lot of people, friends, family, who were, you know, uh, supported him and gathered around him. And in the midst of that moment, I know that he could very easily have just said, this is so wrong, what happened? They treated me, you know, pointed the finger, got angry. But I remember one day meeting with him, and he said, listen, can we grab some lunch together? And we were chatting, and he just started to share some things in his own life. He's like, you know, since this happened, it was a real kind of wake-up call, and I've become very aware of some things where, you know, I've not been the best. I could be in this area or that area. And he started to share some things with me. He's like, I just need to get this off my chest, ask if you'll help me and pray with me. And, and as he moved forward, you know, he made this decision to not have any bitterness or anger or rage, even though... He probably could have felt justified in it. Maybe he could have said, listen, that was wrong what they did. But he made this choice. No, I'm going to put that behind me. This guy's in a wonderful church now, leading the pastor of this church. God's doing some incredible things through him and his wife and his family. It's just so amazing seeing all that God's doing in his life. And I honestly believe it's because he came to this critical junction in his life. And he made a choice. In the midst of this drama, he made a choice. He's, he chose to own his responsibility. He chose to take some responsibility for things that he could change in himself. He chose to rethink that to make sure this didn't show up in his next ministry position, in his next church. And he chose to release it. You know, we'll get together now. This is years ago this happened, and we'll talk about that period of time. And we can still remember everything that happened. But that's all it is. It's a memory. It doesn't have a hold on him. It doesn't bring up any bitterness or rage. It's just a, something that happens. And I believe he's a stronger, better person because of it. 
But he made that decision, and some of us may need to make a similar decision this morning. So let's pray. Father, as we close out this series on turning down the drama, there's many different things that cause drama in our lives, but for some of us, I think probably the most frustrating thing is when that drama just keeps occurring again and again and again. In that same area, it just seems to be that in relationships or in jobs or in family or in my finances, I just find myself that same drama cropping up again and again. Why is this? Maybe it's because, Lord, we've never stopped long enough to evaluate the experience, to, to find the answer to the question, what was I thinking? Help us, Lord, because we can't do this without your help. Help us, Lord, to figure out how to own our part of the problem. How to rethink, renew our minds so that we don't take this into the next stage of our lives. And God, what might be the hardest for some of us here this morning to release that drama. Not to forget it, not to let the person off the hook, but just to release it. To say, I want to put that behind me. I no longer want that to have a hold of my life. I don't want to take that situation into every area of my life. I'm choosing today to release it and the hold it has on me. Help us to do that, I pray, so that we can remove the drama in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name.